Today's Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to 36. Jacob lived in the land where his father stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him in the distance, before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, they said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the midnight merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it and see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. 
Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the midnight sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're going well on this beautiful day. Uh, if I haven't met you before, uh, my name is Jack. I'm one of the pastors here at TCU. Um, and as Chris said at the start, we're starting a new series this morning looking at uh, the end part of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37 uh, through to 50, and looking at the Joseph narrative, or really uh, the account of Jacob's family line. It's, it's all of them, as we read in verse 2 this morning. Um, you, might, you might remember um, a couple of months ago, if you were here, I shared uh, a story about my mate Davo and about how Sam and I were playing a cricket game with him, and we figured out that maybe Davo, our friend, was actually the favourite son in our family. Uh, uh, there, was a, there was a smashed window involved. We blamed Davo. Davo didn't get in any trouble. Uh, and we're like, maybe, maybe Davo's the favourite son here. And um, it became like maybe a little bit more obvious that this was the case later on in life. Um, this has gone back a few years now. Uh, to Davo's Bucks party just before he got married that my brother and I were organising uh, for Dave. And um, at this Bucks party, mum actually sent Dave a message. And this message said uh, something along the lines of, um, Dave, we hope you have a really great day today. Uh, we hope you really enjoy the time with Sam and Jack. We hope that they, they treat you really well today, which is a really nice message to send to someone, right? Except at the end, um, she also put, P.S., you've always been the favourite son. And, um, yeah, so me and Sam, like, we didn't know about this, and, and Dave made a pretty unwise decision that day at his Bucks party. Like, just like Joseph was miles and miles away from the protection of his father in this passage, Davo was miles and miles away from the protection of our mum, and he made this decision to show us the text message on the day of his Bucks party. And needless to say, Sam and I, we had a lot of fun that day. It was a great day. And Dave, he recovered eventually. Dave recovered eventually. But there were no wells, there were no cisterns involved. Actually, it was a really fun day, a really fun day to spend with Dave. And of course, it's a family joke that Dave is the favourite son. I think, I hope, I don't know, but it's all right. <laughs> but this morning, what do we read about these brothers who hate their brother because he is the favourite son. It's a pretty confronting uh, passage to read this morning about some of the horrible stuff that happens. And there's a question, isn't there? Is this the most dysfunctional family in the Bible? I mean, these are Abraham's ancestors, right? These are the ones who God promised would be a blessing to the whole world. In Genesis chapter 12, on the screen behind me, we read this. I will make you into a great nation. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is an amazing promise. Then later on in Genesis, in chapter 28, we see God saying to Jacob, as well, reiterating uh, this, this promise that is made to Abraham, saying all nations on earth will be blessed through your descendants. It's an amazing promise. But these people? I mean, really? This is the family that God will make into a great nation? This is the family that God will bless the whole entire world through? I mean, surely not. Surely this is where God says, nah, 
Okay, I'm starting again. You guys are insane. Now, most of us here would know the story of Joseph from the Bible. Uh, if not from the Bible, though, then maybe from uh, the musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat as well, the musical comedy. And we know that this story has an incredible ending, right? You couldn't dream up um, a better ending to this story than what we read at the end of Genesis. So we're spending five weeks looking at Genesis chapter 37 through to 50. And as we do so, here is the big idea for the series, The big idea, it's really small and simple, God brings blessing through his chosen leader. That's our big idea for this series, God brings blessing through his chosen leader. But before we get there, we have some ground to cover this morning, because things don't seem to be going so well for God's chosen leader by the end of chapter 37. So whereas the big idea for the series is that God brings blessing through his chosen leader, The big idea for this morning is this, again, pretty small and simple, God's chosen leader is rejected. And we're kind of left with the question, how will God's blessing come to his people if this is the way that people are responding to God and to his leader? There are three things that we'll be looking at this morning uh, as, we, as we kind of flesh this out. Firstly, at the chosen leader. This uh, is in your leaflets this morning. Secondly, the response to the chosen leader. And thirdly, the consequences of the response to the chosen leader. So point one, the chosen leader. Uh, what's our first impression of God's chosen leader, of Joseph? Because first impressions, they're pretty important, right? Um, I know this well, I was in a cafe one day, Uh, it was really, really, really early in the morning and I was really tired, I hadn't had my coffee yet to kind of kickstart the day, so I went up and I kind of mumbled my coffee order to the person at the counter and when I turned around I um, accidentally stepped on someone's yoga mat that was next to to their table as I was going to take my seat and um, and they looked at me and they were like, I'm so sorry, let me get that out of your way. And I don't know if you've ever done this where in your head you kind of, you say one thing but then there's something else entirely comes out of your mouth. She, um, she, so in, in my head, I said, no worries, it's totally fine, don't worry, you don't even worry about it, and then I kept walking. What happened was, I walked past her, stood in the yoga mat, she said, Jack, uh, uh, not Jack, she doesn't know me, but she said, I'm so sorry uh, for the yoga mat, like, I'll get it out of your way, and I just said, no, and then I walked down, and I sat down, right? Um, in, yeah, my mouth didn't really say what I was saying in my head. It was a bit awkward and a bit embarrassing. The first impression there is probably for her, I'm a pretty rude person and possibly a bit unhinged. That's the first impression that I gave her. What's the first impression, though, of Joseph in these pages? I think it's fair to say that we see Joseph and we think he's pretty spoiled. We think that Joseph is someone who likes to lord it over his brothers because he is the favourite And we think that Joseph is possibly someone like that who might think something in his head but might say something wrong out of his mouth. Initially, as we read verse 2, we see that Joseph had had taken a bad report of his brothers to his father. And we could think when we see this, well, maybe Joseph was just doing his job. He's a trustworthy son. He's letting his dad know that his brothers have been doing a bad job. And maybe that is the case. But as things continue, we kind of get that impression that Joseph uh, might be in the habit of opening his mouth a little bit too often and saying the wrong thing. We get the impression that he thinks he is a cut above the rest of his brothers. Joseph, we read in verse 3, was loved more than any of Jacob's other sons because Joseph was born to Jacob in his old age. And we read that Jacob shows his favoritism of Joseph by making him an ornate robe. 
Joseph isn't just given like a warm cloak to wear, Joseph is given a very fine robe. This is kind of like the Armani suit of the ancient Near East that Joseph is given by his father and none of his other brothers are looked after this way. So Joseph, a young man of about 17, is a bit of a dibber of a Cindy to his brothers and uh, he's spoilt by his father as well. And then what do we read? We read Joseph has some dreams. Some dreams that he chooses to share with his brothers, dreams that elevate him even more above his brothers. And he could have just shared these with just his father and maybe asked for some advice about them, but that's not what he does. No, Joseph the favorite, the the spoiled brat, who tells on his brothers, says, guys, guys, listen to this dream I had, right? We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly, right, Get this, suddenly my sheaf rose, it stood upright, and you'll never guess what your sheaves did. They gathered around my sheaf, get this, and they bowed down to it. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) I wonder wonder what that means, right? And we we see that, and we think, oh, Joseph, like, tone it down a bit, mate, come on. But then he does it again. This time in his father's earshot, he says, listen, I had another dream. This time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Oh, wow, what does that mean, right? And we're like, Joseph, come on, man. Seriously, it's not a good first impression of Joseph. And yet we hear these dreams, we read them, and we need to recognize that they're very important. So in the the Joseph narrative or the Joseph story, dreams play a really big role Because dreams then were recognized as a means for God's revelation to Abraham's descendants and also to others. Jacob, Joseph's father, well knew this. As I said, in Acts chapter 28, God appeared to him in a dream and made those amazing promises that he'd made to Abraham as well. See, dreams were not just something to ignore back then. This is why we read that Jacob, at the end of verse 11, he keeps the matter in mind. He doesn't just discard them. But our first impression of Joseph at the start of 37, of Genesis 37, is that he's, he's this young, um, spoiled brat who may need to be knocked down a few pegs. Someone who really needs to, to grow up. But he's also someone who's been chosen by God to be elevated as the leader of Abraham's descendants. Joseph is God's chosen leader. But as we read in this chapter today, the response to the chosen leader, let's be honest, while it's a story uh, we know and is popular in the world today as a musical comedy, it's actually horrific. Because in the response to God's chosen leader, we see the wickedness and cruelty, selfishness and jealousy of sin, something that's marked the world and humanity since chapter 3 of Genesis. It's sad. It's actually a bit hard to read as we, as we dig into it together as well. Point two, the response to the chosen leader. Well, what do we read the response to God's chosen leader is? It's rejection. Plain and simple. Verse four tells us that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph's relationship with his brothers from the beginning is one where they hate him purely because their father loves Joseph more than them. Nothing Joseph did at the beginning makes them hate him. They just hate him because he's loved more by their father. And we read they can't speak a nice word about Joseph. And maybe this kind of helps to shed light on why Joseph would happily report back to his father the things that his brothers were doing wrong. 
you know, maybe they were mean to him, so he used the favoritism of his father to gain an advantage over them. Maybe that's what happened. We can't really uh, be sure. But what we can be sure of is that their hatred doesn't stop there. It just escalates. After Joseph shares his first dream with them, we read their response in verse 8. Do you intend to, to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And after Joseph's second dream, we read of Joseph's father's response as well as the brother's. And his father's response, I think, helps us see how inappropriately Joseph had shared this dream with his brothers, even if it was something that Jacob thought might be serious and to to think about later on. We read in verse 10 that Jacob rebuked Joseph and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Then we read, his brothers were jealous of him, though his father kept the matter in mind. See, after this second dream, the brother's hatred pours over into jealousy. See, the way things worked back then is if Joseph were the favorite son, it was likely that when Jacob died, uh, Joseph would inherit the greater portion of his father's inheritance. He would get his father's blessing. He'd get more. And maybe uh, the brothers could have coped with that, and, and maybe they could have, could have borne that, but even if they did, you know, very sadly hate their brother. But now there was another possibility that they had to start thinking of. Bowing down to their brother as ruler? I mean, seriously? I mean, we read this and we begin to worry, don't we, at this part of the story. What happens next kind of seems inevitable. I don't know about you, it seems kind of unwise for Jacob to send Joseph to his brothers at this point, where Joseph is far away from the protection of his father. Uh, But maybe Jacob, as he's mulling over Joseph's dream, thinks, you know, he's their brother, right? They wouldn't do anything to him. And maybe there is something to this dream, maybe something will come of it, so I I can safely send him out to them. Well, something does come of it, but it's worse than Jacob could have ever imagined. It's worse than he ever knows until much later in the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers are out in Dothan and they see him coming toward them, far away from their father's protection. This brother who is spoiled, who thinks he's better than them, who's had these dreams that might come true of them having to bow down to him and they can't stand it. So what do they do? Well, firstly, they want to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and we'll say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They want to kill their own brother. Let's remind us of anywhere else in Genesis. Is this Cain and Abel all over again? Jealousy pouring over into murder. Uh, But we read that Reuben steps up, the older brother, He convinces them not to kill Joseph, but to throw him into that well. He'd be the brother to rescue Joseph and bring him back to their father. Why? Well, we're not 100% sure based off what we've read this morning. But I wonder if Reuben is wanting to maybe restore his relationship with his father. After all, if you read a few chapters back, you you see that um, Reuben does some pretty inappropriate stuff toward his father. Or maybe he feels as the older brother that even though he hates Joseph, he could reflect badly on the brothers if Joseph has come out to them in the field and yet doesn't return home with them. Or maybe he does actually have a genuine change of heart in that moment. But whichever it is, he tries to save Joseph and his brothers agree not to kill him. 
So when Joseph gets to them, we see them strip uh, his precious robe off of him. We see them throw him into that cistern, but they don't kill him. And yet that's still not the end of it. See, Judah has a bright idea. Say, hey guys, we can, we can still actually get rid of Joseph without killing him and having his blood on our own hands. Instead, we can sell him off for some money, we can make a bit of a profit, and he can just go and die somewhere else. We don't have to think about him anymore. And then we read, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And yet it just, it just keeps going down and down. This, this still isn't where it ends. They could have gone back to their father and said that Joseph never showed up if they wanted to lie to him. Instead, they cover Joseph's coat in blood and hand it to their father so that he has to use his imagination to try to figure out the hor- horrific thing that's happened to his son. And then we see Reuben, who is devastated at what his brothers have done, who was all for saving Joseph just a while ago, fall into the plot and play along, even though he knows how bad this deception is. I mean, this is a broken family. These are cold-hearted, selfish, spiteful brothers who leave their father in mourning, who cannot be comforted no matter who tries to comfort him, but who says that he will mourn, verse 35, until I join my son in the grave. This is a, a broken family filled with selfishness, deceit and hatred. And when we read this and we think of God's promises to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 and to Jacob in Genesis 28, we think, really? God's promises to Abraham are going to come through this family? What we're left with at the end of this chapter is God's chosen leader being rejected in a horrific way by his own family. Whose actions show that they don't really care about God's promises They're too concerned with looking out for number one. Point three, the consequences of the response to the chosen leader. We've already looked at the brokenness of the family that occurs because of the actions of Joseph's brothers, but something else uh, is there that we see too, right at the end of chapter 37. While Joseph's father is in mourning, we read about another event that's happening at the same time in verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. See, the story of Joseph continues. God isn't done yet with his chosen leader. And if God's not done with Joseph yet in this story, at the end of chapter 37, then Joseph's dreams, they're still in play. And in a lot of ways, those dreams of his at the start have set up the expectation of what we will see by the end of the story. Just like Mike said in his kids' talk today, God brings blessing through his chosen leader. And it happens despite the rejection of his people, despite the, uh, the sinfulness and the, the flawed um, humans who work against his promises. See, what we see time and time again in Genesis is that even when it looks like human rebellion against God and human sinfulness is going to stop God's purposes from happening, God works despite this to bring about his purposes. And he even works through these flawed people to bring those purposes about. Purposes that ultimately mean blessing for his people. 
See, as we finish this chapter, we wait in anticipation for how God will bring about his promises. It's not really a question of will God's promises come to pass or can they come to pass. The question is really how will God's promises come to pass when God's chosen leader is rejected? How will we be able to see God's promises um, come into fruition? Because we can be pretty certain by now in Genesis that God's promises will happen. So finally this morning, what about the promises? Well, the book of Genesis isn't just a narrative or a story in isolation to the rest of the Bible, is it? It's part of the story of the Bible. And when we ask the question, how will God's promises come to pass when God's chosen leader is rejected, we're pointed far forward in the Bible to God's chosen king, a king who the world rejected, a king who was crucified on a cross, yet who is the promised king through whom the whole world has received God's promised blessing. As we read last week in Acts 28, God's salvation has been sent to the nations. Jesus is the one who we appointed straight toward. And as we read this chapter this morning, we're reminded in several ways about why we desperately need to turn to Jesus, to God's chosen leader, and not reject him. There are three reasons we're going to look at. Firstly, because the rejection of the brothers in this chapter mirrors our own rejection of God. Secondly, because like the brothers, we can't cover up our rejection, we can't cover up our sin. And thirdly, because God's intention of blessing through his chosen leader means that we have forgiveness and restored relationship with God. So firstly, the rejection of the brothers mirrors our own rejection of God and his chosen king. Now this isn't just seen in, in chapter 37, this is, this is a whole of Genesis, whole of Bible thing that comes up again and again, that as a result of sin entering the world, our hearts are bent on turning away from God and going our own way, just as Joseph's brothers do. If any one of us here were to reflect on our lives, not one of us can say that we haven't acted toward God in the way that we shouldn't. The brother's sin here mirrors the sin that is true of all of humanity. We say no to God's rule over our lives in order to find satisfaction and fulfillment elsewhere. And it's still true uh, true, even of those who, who follow Jesus today that we say no to God's rule in different areas of our lives. In my Bible study group on Thursday night, we were talking about areas in our lives where we struggle to to bow down to, to Jesus as our Lord. And someone used conflict as a great example of what this might look like today. Saying that in conflict, whereas Jesus might call for reconciliation and for us to forgive in the moment, that's not really what I want to do. We might want to fight. We might want to see the other person suffer as a result of a perceived slight. So we reject Jesus' lordship in that conflict and turn away from how he shows us to forgive and love others. But it's true as well for other areas of our lives where we refuse Jesus' lordship. It might be in relationships or families, it might be in career, it might be in the way that we use technology, maybe a computer late at night. It might be uh, even in seeing someone walking up to talk to you this morning for a conversation, you might just think, I really don't feel like talking to that person today. In which areas of our lives do we refuse Jesus' lordship in order to decide how we should live for ourselves? The rejection of the brothers mirrors our own rejection of God. 
Now, secondly, like the brothers, we can't cover up those times in our lives when we do this. Now, we might be able to cover it up from those close to us for a little while, just like Joseph's brothers do from their father, but we can't cover it up from God. It's on plain display for him to see. No amount of ignoring it or lying about it or trying to convince yourself it's not happened will work. Our sin is on display for God to see. And just like we look on with disgust at the brothers' hearts in Genesis 37, when we do this, what do our own hearts look like? The answer is that without Jesus, they look exactly the same as the brothers. But thank God that thirdly, his intention of blessing through his chosen leader means that we have forgiveness of sin and restored relationship with him. Because in Jesus, we have a king who saves. We have a king who gave up his own life to pay that price for our sin and to make it possible for us to be reconciled to God if we trust in him. A king through whom the promises of blessing made to Abraham come true. So that when God does look at our hearts, he's not disgusted, but delighted because his son has washed us clean. And even when we fail in this, we know that we can come back to Jesus again and again, God's chosen King, our Saviour, and this is still the case and always will be. And that's something to forever be thankful to God for. And it's a great reminder about how much we need God's chosen King. Today we've looked at our big picture of the series, being that God brings blessing through His chosen leader. And we've seen this morning that God's chosen leader in Genesis 37 uh, has been rejected in Joseph. I'm going to thank God now, though, that this isn't the end of the story. And that just like God makes a way for Joseph to be a blessing to his brothers and the nations around him later in the story, God has made a way for us to receive the blessing of salvation through his chosen king and our saviour, Jesus. Let's pray. Let's thank God for this now. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who keeps promises. Thank you that you are a God who can make your promises come through even uh, despite uh, flawed uh, people. Um, You make your promises come through even by working through flawed people. Thank you for your Son who we see the fulfillment of promises in, in salvation being sent to the nations, of reconciliation with you and life in his name. Father, we thank you so much for this grace that you have shown to us. And we pray that this is something we would cling to daily. We pray that you would help us think through the areas of our lives where we might be struggling to, um, to submit to Jesus' lordship. Please help us to repent of these times uh, and to turn to you with them, knowing that you're a God who forgives us, knowing that you're a God who works in our hearts to help us to live for you. We pray that you'd help us as a church, to love one another by constantly pointing each other towards the amazing promises that have been fulfilled in Jesus. Amen.